0: Uh, I like that we did that video because I feel like so many of those phrases are relatable. And so here I'm gonna ask you to do this. You don't have to pick one, but as I go through those phrases, I want you to, uh, by cheers or raise your hand, have you ever employed that phrase in your life? So the first one, hard work always pays off. Who's ever lived by that? All right, good, good. How about I'll worry about that tomorrow? Yeah. I like how she was like, some call it procrastination. (laughs) call it how I live. Uh, How about uh, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say anything at all. Yes, we've all, yeah, all right. Uh, This one for sure, fake it till you make it. Yeah, but let's all be honest, the all-time favorite, do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. (laughs) That was so good. These, These phrases, these ideologies, they have a way of working themselves into our psyche and shaping who we are. Um, Every one of us on this planet has words that have shaped us and whether we kind of ascribe to them as like a motto we always live by or whether it's in flux, whatever that is, um, they change us, right? Uh, Not everybody here might say like I have a life motto, this is what I always live by, but chances are you have rules that you live by. You have general principles. We've identified a few of them. I'm sure you can think of others, that help you make decisions, help you know how to live. And we'll just go one step further. If you are a Christian, or if you grew up in a Christian setting, there is one very important, very big set of life principles that you live by, or or we're told that you should live by, and that is the Bible this sacred text that is for us to guide us and speak into our lives in divine ways, the Bible. Or if you're feeling fancy, the Holy Bible. For me, growing up, uh, when it came to the Bible, I was taught that the first and most important thing was to learn it, to learn it so that you could live it. So I had kind of this motto ingrained in me, learn it and live it. Let's say that together, learn it and live it. Uh, This is a Bible that I earned when I was six. Um, This is me when I was six, thank you. Um, I say earned it because I literally had to earn it. At my little Christian school, once you learned all how to recite all 66 books in order, you were given a Bible. So when I was six, I learned all the books of the Bible and I was given this and it was precious to me. It was my first Bible I ever owned. You can tell a six-year-old had it because there's a teddy bear sticker <laughs> here on the inside. I rarely put stickers on my Bible anymore. Um, <laughs> But learning the books in order wasn't the only thing that we learned. Also in first grade, we learned the entire chapter of Matthew two. Then in third grade, we memorized the entire chapter 11 of Hebrews. Then in sixth grade, we learned the entire book of Ephesians. And in eighth grade, we memorized the entire book of James. And if that wasn't enough, the whole time during this, I was also in something called Awana. And one of the things that Awana did was it helped you memorize scripture. And so I was memorizing all these verses and I memorized all the verses. So much so that I was given what was called the Timothy Award, which is what you get when you're a better Christian than everyone else. So I had a lot of accountability and support when I was young and an early teenager to learn the Bible so that I could live it. Now, once in a while, I would run into problems, and maybe you've experienced this, where you run into some passages that are really weird, and you're not sure how you translate that into living it. Uh, For example, here's this one in Proverbs 31. It says, give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. So to me, that sounds like advice to drink your problems away. I feel like... That might be what it's saying. Or this one in Mark that says this, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and he ran away naked. Learn it and live it. Okay, what, like do I, like what? or this one in 2 Kings, it says this, he went up from there to Bethel and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him saying, go up you bald head, go up you bald head. And he turned around and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord and two bears came out of the wood and tore the boys apart. Okay, so this is either telling us, don't call people bald or, You have the right to summon animals to kill people who tease you. It's one, one of those. All right. Now, obviously these are weird passages. Most of scripture is not like this. I literally Googled weird verses in the Bible. That's how I found that. But it is true that this Bible is a complicated collection of writings. Like we said, it's 66 different books, written by over 40 different authors, spanning over a thousand years. It encompasses not one, but several ancient cultures, and it's written in three different languages, one of which is not even a spoken language today anymore. This is our Bible. And so it's no wonder that many of us might be wondering, how is this Bible supposed to speak to my 21st century life? Because let's be honest, we, we face problems and issues that didn't even exist when this was written. When this was written, there was no AI, there was no climate change, there was no social media, there were no computers... So there are, if we're honest, some really big gaps about what the Bible actually says and the reality of what I'm living in. And for me, with my motto of learn it and live it, it caused some problems. I was almost seeing the Bible as an instruction manual for life. And I was like a robot that was downloading the manual so that I could do everything that it said. And then when I ran into gaps between my modern life and what I was downloading from the Bible, it was like I was hitting this wall, and I didn't know how to get over it. And what I eventually realized, and maybe if you grew up like me, you have realized this as well, that the learn it and live it motto, it was shortchanging me on what my experience of the Bible could be, that I was missing something that was so much more enriching that God had for me, that that God wanted to engage with me in the Bible in ways that weren't quite so black and white as learn to do this and learn not to do that. And what I had been doing was actually minimizing the power and the impact that the Bible could have on me. And for me, this experience, it really boiled down to one question, and maybe it's a question that you've asked before, or you came in today asking it. When it comes to this book, the bottom line question is, is the Bible reliable? And that is the question we're asking today. We are in our sixth week, our sixth question in this series, Explore God, and we are asking, is the Bible reliable? And as we answer that, let's first start by taking a step back and making sure that we're all on the same page, because we have to ask, what do we mean by reliable? Because being reliable, if someone or something is reliable, it has everything to do with, do they do what they're supposed to do, right? So for example, my 15-year-old is reliable. She shows up when she says she's going to. She does what she says she's going to. She turns in her homework on time. Is she reliable to drive? No, because she is only 15. She doesn't know how to drive yet, right? Okay. Or take my car, for example. This is my car. Is it reliable to get me where I'm going? Yes. Do I get over 200 electric miles? Yes. Is it reliable in those ways? Yes. If I were to try to drive it up a rocky cliff, would it be reliable? No, it would not because it's not a Jeep Wrangler. Got it? And then one more, just in case you're not getting it. These shoes, are these shoes reliable? Do they protect my feet from the ground? Yes. Do they give my feet support? Yes. Could I run a marathon in them? No. Will I ever run a marathon? No. But if I did, I would not wear these shoes. I would not even wear them to walk around the block, right? Does that mean they're not reliable? No, it just means that's not what they were meant for. So when we ask, is the Bible reliable, we have to take into account what was it meant for, because only then do we have an honest answer to the question. And when we expect the Bible to to be something it's not, or to do something that it wasn't written to do, we hinder ourselves from receiving what it was meant to do, and we will come to the conclusion that it's not reliable if we expect it to be something it's not. And it will leave us frustrated and confused, and it might make us leave the Bible altogether and dismiss it as irrelevant instead of embracing it as a divine companion on our journey of spiritual life. The Bible was meant to be a revelation of God to humankind, and it does that by way of diverse, complex writings from complicated people in their unique setting. And it is a beautiful collection of divinely inspired writings that give to us a multifaceted view of God so that we, as people who are trying to understand who God is, can walk into that picture of God. So if you ask, is the the Bible reliable to do that? Yes. A resounding yes. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's look really specifically about what the Bible is meant to do. And then in light of that, we ask the question, is it reliable? So let's start with this. At the beginning of the New Testament has four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know that because I learned it when I was six. And those gospels are the primary record of Jesus. And so that's a good way to start as we think about the purpose of the Bible. So here's the first thing I want us to see. The Bible is a record of Jesus who is the personified word of God. It doesn't take long to be in church or to be talking to people who are Christians. And in reference to the Bible, they call it the word of God or the word. The Bible is the word. Now, we know that the word word means a unit of communication that we use. And often we use those units of communication to reveal something about us to someone else. And that's what the Bible does. It is revealing who God is. So the Bible does that through written text, words, the word. Uh, But the phrase word of God, it means more than only the words on the printed page. In fact, the Bible itself refers to Jesus as the word of God. Last week, we looked at this verse. We're gonna put it up again, John 1, 1. It says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This isn't saying that the Bible was with God in the beginning, but that the word Jesus was with God, that Jesus was God and Jesus is the word. And then later in verse 14, it says, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So when it all comes down to it, here's what we need to know that Jesus is the culmination of the whole biblical narrative. Everything in the Old Testament points to, leads us to, prepares us for Jesus. The gospels tell of Jesus, and the New Testament is the early Jesus followers trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. Jesus is the personified word of God. He is the clearest picture of who God is. It might be more accurate to say that Jesus is the word of God and the Bible is the word about the word. Both of them are the word of God. But if we're going to understand Jesus, we have to do it through this word. And showing us Jesus is a big part of what the Bible was meant to do. And so when we ask the question of reliability, it means that the Bible is reliable to show us who God is through the person of Jesus. Here at Crosswinds, we talk about what it is to move closer to Jesus or further away, to have the way we live and our actions be more aligned with Jesus or less. And in any given moment, in any given day, we're either moving more toward alignment with Jesus or less and there's grace there is so much grace for all the ways that we are less like jesus but if our hope as believers if the trajectory that we're moving toward with transformation is to move to be more like jesus it means we've got to get to know jesus and we do that in the bible so this first thing we're thinking about is that the Bible is a record of Jesus as the personified word, so we can rely on the Bible to show us who God is through Jesus. Now, in addition to giving an account of Jesus, the Bible is full of personal accounts, um, human experiences, really stories of faith that are woven throughout the Bible. And communicating these stories is another reason that the Bible was written. So the second thing I wanna look at is the Bible as an account of people of faith and their lived experiences of God. See, throughout the Bible, we read people stories. And in all of those accounts, we see people's humanity and it resonates with our humanity, right? We see how they encountered God and it gives us a model and an encouragement for how we too might encounter God. So we read in these pages about a, a, a brother named Joseph, one of 12, who his brothers sold him into slavery. He ended up in prison for many years, very dark years, and eventually became one of the highest leaders in the land. And we read this story of Joseph, and it says to us that God can turn our bad into good, Right? Or we read a story of a woman who was very publicly caught in adultery and she was dragged out into the streets and all the religious leaders had stones in their hand ready to stone her and we hear Jesus say, whoever has not sinned, you throw the first stone. And it makes us realize that in Jesus is where we get forgiveness from guilt and shame. We read about Peter, who was supposed to be one of Jesus' closest friends, closest followers, how even he, at the worst time possible, denied Jesus and said, I don't know him. I don't want to be associated with him. And then we see Jesus' forgiveness of him. And it helps us realize that we too, who act or speak as if we don't know Jesus, that Jesus always welcomes us back. Or maybe we read about a story of a young boy named David fighting a giant named Goliath, and how David, with his little bit of faith, believed and how God showed up. And we realize in our lives, where we feel like the odds are against us, that when we have a little bit of faith, that God will show up. Because the Bible is full of stories like this, We can rely on it through those stories to teach us, to encourage us, to, to comfort us. And that's why the Bible was written the way it was with so many stories and personal accounts. You know, sometimes though, when we read these stories, we get kind of hung up on certain details and it makes us question whether or not the Bible is reliable. Take the story of David and Goliath, like I just said. In that account, there is a verse that describes what's going on with Goliath, and it says that his armor weighed 125 pounds, right where it says 5,000 shekels. His armor was 125 pounds. Now, some of us might read that and we're like, well, is that historically accurate? Do other sources say it was that much? What if it was 60? Does that mean I can't trust the Bible? And what we find when we ask questions like that sometimes is when we don't get satisfactory answers for those questions, that we assume that the Bible is not reliable. Now, let me share with you a few different ways that scholars and other Christians approach this. Some Christians and scholars would approach this and say, that is a valid question to ask the Bible, that we can depend on the Bible to give us specific answers like that. And we would, they would say, yes, you can trust those details. Goliath was huge, he was strong. It would not have been a problem for him to hold armor that was that heavy. And if that's you, that is fine. There are a lot of people here around Crosswinds, including some of our staff and our pastors who read the Bible very literally. And then there's other believers and other scholars who might approach it differently. Pete Enns is one of those. He is a Bible scholar and a theologian, and he would say that when we use the Bible to get to the bottom of how heavy that armor was exactly, that we're expecting the Bible to be something that it's not trying to be. Scholars like this would say that it wasn't meant to be an encyclopedia of facts. It wasn't meant to be a science book. It just wasn't written that way. And the people back then that it was written to originally wouldn't have read it that way. In his book, The Bible Tells Me So, here's what Pete N. says. The Bible from back to front is the story of God told from the limited point of view of real people living in a certain place and time The Bible looks the way it does because, quote, God lets his children tell the story, so to speak. So scholars like this would say that in David's cultural context, the exact weight of the armor was not the point of the story. The point was that it was heavy, and the point was that we could trust God to show up for us even when we feel like the odds are against us. Well, no matter how you read it, Here's what we know about the stories in the Bible. They resonate with our lives, right? They look like real life because they are real life and they have the power to transform us if we let them. So the Bible is an account of people of faith and their lived experience of God. So that means we can rely on these testimonies to teach and comfort and challenge us, to transform us. All right, so we've talked about the Gospels and Jesus, and and we've talked about the stories that are woven throughout the whole book, and I want to talk very briefly about one more facet of the Bible and why we can rely on it with that, and it has to do with the first century church. You guys ready to talk about the first century church? Yes. Are you ready? Good, because we're going to do it anyway. All right. Uh, the New Testament is, compr- uh, is comprised of letters that were written from followers of Jesus, former disciples who are instructing the early churches, the churches that begin to arise after the resurrection. And so we ask, what does that mean for us? Like, why would the dialogue among the churches in the first century be a way that God reveals himself to us? Well, I'd put it this way. This is our third point. The Bible is a dialogue of first century churches equipping them to follow Jesus in their context. Can you say context? Context, context yes. So for them, the churches received the letters from, from Paul and Peter and John, and that taught them how to be the church in their context. And really, it's the same for us. It teaches us how to be the church in our context but it's not just a copy and paste. It's not just they did it this way, so we are also gonna do it exactly that way. We're gonna mimic that. Instead, it takes discernment. Can I hear you say discernment? Discernment. All right, let me give you a quick example of why the New Testament letters are not a reliable model for us as the church if we only take it at face value, but they are reliable if we use discernment to engage with them to guide us on how to be the church today. So I'm gonna tell you about two first century churches. One is in Rome and one is in Ephesus. And they both received letters to their churches from Paul. I'm gonna look at two example passages, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at what the text says, and then I'm gonna help you understand the context of what's going on, something we don't find in the text, but we find when we do appropriate biblical cultural research. The reason we don't find it in the text is because it was written to people in their context. They already knew their context because It was their context. So when we look at it, we have to dig and understand their context. Okay, we're gonna start with 1 Timothy 2, verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. So what's happening in the text is he is talking about in their church context that a woman should not teach, she should not assume authority. She should be quiet and submissive and learn. So, in that Ephesians church at that time, women were not allowed to teach. All right, let's talk about context. The bigger picture of the letter as a whole is Paul addressing some false teaching that was rampant within the church. And it was a problem that the church was having. And, and some of the churchgoers, were believing what the false teachers were saying. And some of them were women. Now in that culture, typically women would not have been educated, at least not theologically. So here you have these women without education, without theological training, who were buying into false teaching and saying it and spreading it throughout the church. So Paul writes, don't let the women get up and teach. They should be quiet and learn from the men. So with that, I will sit down and have a man come explain the rest of this to you. But it does leave the church with a question about women teachers. If we were to apply copy and paste 1 Timothy 2, we would say no. It says right there, no. But when we know know about their church context, it allows us to be discerning. And then there's the other church that I wanna tell you about. But before I can tell you about them, let me very quickly explain first century postage, okay? So when you would write a message back then, you would send it from a messenger, with a messenger. So that means in the case of all these letters that Paul is writing to these different churches, getting them to the churches would happen through him sending a trusted messenger. But it wasn't just a messenger. See, Paul's letters were often really complicated, and they took some explaining, and so what would typically happen is Paul would send his letter with a messenger who is somebody that he had been working with, somebody who had been in leadership alongside him, and the role of the messenger would be to explain the contents of the letter. So the church would gather and they would dialogue about the letter that Paul sent. And as they did, whoever brought the letter was responsible to clarify the theology of the letter and answer any questions. Okay, got it? Understand? Okay, so let's look at this church in Rome. This is Romans chapter 16, verse 1. This is Paul to a different church. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancreae. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. And so, what we see in the text, remember, we start with the text, is that Paul is commending Phoebe, he's asking them to welcome her. He says that she's a deacon, which refers to a leader in the church, and Paul is sending her to this church in Rome. Now, what we don't see in the text, but we know from biblical research, is that Phoebe was the messenger who was bringing this letter. So are you picturing it? The church is gathered, and there's Phoebe, who's a woman, who's up front teaching. And by the way, the letter she's explaining is Romans, Romans is one of the most theologically complex books in the whole New Testament. Okay, so it leaves us asking the question, which one is right? Did the Ephesians get it right by not allowing women to teach? Or did the Romans get it right because they welcomed Phoebe into that role? Well, they both did. They acted in their context with godly wisdom in their setting, and just like them, We have to use the Bible with our context in mind. What this dialogue in the early church teaches us is how to live as people of faith in this context, in our world, and it's why it's reliable, because the Bible is never not reliable in your context. The Bible is never not reliable in your context. The Bible is this dialogue of first century churches that equips them to follow Jesus in their context. And so for us, when we ask the question, is the Bible reliable, we can rely on it to model discernment for being a faith community in our world. This dialogue, it leads us to discern how to live as people of faith in our world. I shared with you at the beginning this motto that I had been given, which was learn it and live it. And hopefully you've seen a little bit today that it's a lot more complicated than that. And so in my life, I've kind of moved away from that motto a little bit, learn it and live it, or better said, maybe I've expanded it a little, changed it a little bit. And I think that that the impact for me has been significant when it comes to my relationship with the Bible. So instead of learn it and live it, I've added a little bit. So it says this, learn it and discern it so that you know how to live it. Will you read that with me? Learn it and discern it so you know how to live it. See, there is a gap between just learning it and living it. And that gap is filled with discernment. So we need to go beyond just the text and understand context. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand how to apply it in our context. The goal can't simply be to know it. Our goal should be to know it and to digest it and discern it so we know how to live it. And here's the truth. The way you live it might look different than the way I live it but if we are both being discerning in companionship with the Bible and the Holy Spirit, then we can trust that the Bible is doing what it was made to do in our lives. Some of you might find it helpful to, as you dig in, as you understand context, to have a little bit of support with that. So I wanna invite you in particular to consider being part of the class that we're starting next week, How to Read the Bible. It's a a multi-week class that starts next week, and whether you are brand new to the Bible, or it's intimidating, or you're familiar with the Bible, but this is a good way to dig back into it with a little bit of a different perspective, can I invite you to be part of that class? You can find out more on the website. But for all of us, here's what I would encourage you with as we talk about the Bible and how it is reliable. I want to ask you, as you look at these three ways, which one do you need in your life right now? Like, what would it be for you to, to be committed to reading about Jesus? Because you need to understand Jesus as God's word to you. Maybe, maybe you spend some time in some of the Jesus stories this week. Or maybe some of you find yourself in a situation or a circumstance in your life that that you need the the people of faith that have come before us to be able to speak into that. And maybe what you do is you find, find just a biblical narrative, Old Testament or New Testament, and dig into it and let it speak to you. Look at what they learned. Look at the ways they encountered God. Could you encounter God that way? Could he bring encouragement? and challenge and specific words to you where you're at. Or maybe you want to dig in deep and explore the the context of the early church as you navigate what it looks like to, to apply some of these New Testament letters to your life. And that means you're not just gonna read the text, but then you're gonna do some research and get behind the words. Maybe that's a step that you can take. And if you need help with that, email me. I, I have resources for you. I have ways to help you with that. Maybe that's something that you need but the bottom line is read it and engage with it and discern what it means for you and and in doing all of that i think that you will experience it as a reliable source in your life a reliable way that you encounter god would you stand with me as we pray God, we are so thankful for your word, the way that your Bible, the way that you sent Jesus, the way that you let us see all the ways that you reveal yourself to us. God, we know we miss it so much. So help us, help us to reengage with the Bible. Speak loudly and clearly through it. Give us discernment. Thank you for being a reliable God gives us a reliable Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We'll see you all next week. Our pastors and elders will be up front if you need prayer.